Proverbs, again, the 23rd chapter. Proverbs 23, 21. I don't think I have talked to anyone here this morning about this, but I think it's a, a principle. I have seen it happen in my, in, uh, with a person I have known personally, one of the most talented persons I've, I've met. And today is losing everything, just like it's running like water right through his fingers. At one time, everything he touched turned to gold. Just prosperity everywhere. Verse 21 of chapter 23. Read it with me. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. There again is sleepiness or laziness. But he said the drunkard or the glutton, the one who lives to eat instead of eats to live, and the one who allows the bottle to control him and allows it to become his master, he says, those will tend, they will come to poverty. There's no way around it. They will come to poverty. If you want to, don't want to have poverty, stay away from it. Then the next one is in Proverbs, the 28th chapter, verses 19 and 20. Proverbs 28, 19 and 20, and this is talking about craftiness. Craftiness. He that tilleth his land... Want to read it with me? He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Now that vain man, if we were to try to put it in a, a modern, more modern term, let's use the term a con man. Divisive men, men who are manipulators, men who are crafty, who find different ways to get money out of people. You've seen, for example, some of these scams that they say to look out for in the spring here in Florida. Somebody's going to come and do your whole roof for $50 or $75. Look out for that. There's a problem. And these are crafty men, men who try to deceive. And it says if you're going to be in business, you want to prosper, never be crafty. Never be deceitful. Never try to get around something or someone else to cheat them. And then the last one will be in James 1, in the back of your New Testament. James, the first chapter. James 1, verses 5 through 7, has to talk about instability. Instability. And we all must listen closely here because I think all of us can be found guilty of this. Verses 5 through 7 of James, the first chapter. Read it with me. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive what? Say that again. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, you remember in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were being led by the Lord through the wilderness? David talks about that in Psalm 78, what took place and why God had to judge the children of Israel. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, 20 through 22. Instability. Read it with me. Behold, he smote the rock that water, the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Now let me put a word in here as it can be translated also. It is, why can't he give bread also? And why can't he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. 
So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation or in his care for them. They didn't trust him. They didn't believe that he was going to be with them. He said, if you're going to be in business and you're going to trust God, then you better trust God. There are some that will trust God one day, and the next day when things don't go right, they'll curse and rage and fume and, and just do anything they can to try to get things straightened out. And then they'll come back and say, well, I believe this is God's in this business. God's going to honor this business. And the next thing you know, they're raging and fuming and crying out to God, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't God do the other thing? God said, if you want to come to poverty and prove that you're unstable in all your ways, trust me one day and the next day begin to complain. They say, well, now God has given us water, but why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? Why can't he do this? Scripture says God judged that people. To love God and then to blame God. James says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. If you love God and then blame God and get all torn up and begin to abuse those around you, he says, don't think you're going to be prospered of the Lord then. It just won't work. Let's talk about the employer. Some principles for the employer. And then later we'll talk to the employee about the employee. Proverbs 22, 22:16. He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. Let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. It's very interesting for the employer. He who gains by oppressing the poor or by bribing the rich shall end in poverty. By oppressing the poor, what he's actually saying is if you ask men to work for you at a wage that you know is below what they can actually live on. You're oppressing them and making them poorer and poorer and making them actually become like your slaves. And you should put yourself, the scriptures are teaching that you should put yourself in their position. If that were me, what would I want my employer to do for me? And I've said it time and time again that there'd be no need for the unions and no need for the uh, all these talks between the union and the uh, the owners or the employers today, if everyone took the golden rule and applied it, do unto others as you'd have others to do unto you. And consequently, he says here that if you oppress the poor as an employer, if you just purposefully want to get all the money you can out of it and just become a fat cat by bleeding it out of the rest of the people, he said, just look out, you're going to come to poverty. It will not work. Malachi 3.6, I'll, I'll just read this to you out of the Living Bible. You won't have to turn to it. Malachi 3.6, I will move swiftly against wicked men who cheat their hired hands and do not fear me, saith the Lord of hosts. Time and time again in the New Testament, it talks about that you should treat those that are working under you with love and compassion and concern. And if you do, God says he will prosper you. That is not the philosophy in most businesses today. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid. That's the philosophy. All right? And poison the rest. 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, another principle. 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, for employers, 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Read it with me, please. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? 
Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Where it says, be ye not unequally yoked, it means, Pulling, you should be, don't be pulling the same wagon with someone who's an unbeliever. I think that's a very descriptive thing. Where you harness up with an unbeliever, whether it's in business or marriage or anyone else, where else, he said, if you want to get into trouble in business, harness up with someone who's an unbeliever. Don't get yoked to them. Because whatever they do will also reflect upon you. And I could give you example after example of people that I know in the past who have broken this principle as a Christian. They said, well, these fellows are really nice and they're honest and they're very successful in business. And Yes, but are they saved? Or do they know Christ as Lord of their life? Do they answer to him? Do they belong to him? Are all their possessions his? And if the answer is no, then we are not to become harnessed with them. We're not to put the yoke on with them. Christ said to put the yoke on with him. Do you think Christ would want to put a yoke on with an unbeliever? And that's the principle we have to operate on here. He said, don't be unequally yoked. Now, I know that people are doing it. Let me just simply say, I just believe God's word is true. It may not happen overnight, but somewhere down the line, if you've broken a scriptural position or a, a, a principle that God has established that will bring poverty, that will bring trouble ahead, it's going to come. You just cannot avoid it. It's got to come sooner or later. All right? The next one is Deuteronomy, the 25th chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 25, 13 through 16. Read it with me. Thou shalt not have in thy bag divers' weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house divers' measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. What do you think he's talking about? Do some of you that are about my age remember when they had to finally make federal regulations to stop the butcher from putting his thumb on the scale? Do you remember how they used to be able to just put a little bit extra weight on the end of the scales to to get themselves with just a little bit extra money coming back to them. They did that back in the days of Israel, and God says, you want to know what's an abomination to me? Anyone who gives a false weight and a false measure, be absolutely upright and honest in all your dealings, in all your measurings. Always give the benefit of the doubt. Now, maybe you won't get rich immediately, but God says, I'll prosper you if you will not use false balances and false measures. Be absolutely honest in all your dealings, he said, and I'll honor you. You say, well, I know some people who are rich, and I know that they're not honest. Well, if they're not Christians, that's not your responsibility. If they are Christians, it's not your responsibility. God will take care of them. He'll thank them. But if they aren't Christians, they've got their reward. When they step out of this life, the wrath of God comes out against them, the Scripture says. But God says, be absolutely honest. Proverbs, the 11th chapter again. Back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, 
A little bit more about false balances. Verse 1. Proverbs 11, verse 1. Read it with me. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Turn over to the next page. Chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Over in chapter 20 and verse 10. Chapter 20, verse 10. Read it with me. Divers' weights and divers' measures, both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. He's saying, I don't care what you're selling. If you're selling cars, or if you're selling boats, or if you're selling houses, or if you're selling furniture, or if you're selling food, or if you're selling services, whatever it is, don't use a false measure. Always give the full measure to that person you're dealing with. Don't ever cheat them. They may never know you cheat them, but God knows if you cheat them. He sees your dealings, and he's the one that gives you the power to get what? Wealth. And you know not that it is I who have given thee the power to get wealth. Isn't that what he says? If we want to get wealthy, then we better deal honestly before the Lord. All right? Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33 Verses 15 and 16, talking about having high standards. Isaiah 33, 15. Let me read it to you this time because I want to put some extra words in. He that walketh righteously or honestly and speaketh uprightly or fairly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, in other words, making money by fraud, that shaketh his hand from holding bribes, don't give me that stuff, I'm not going to take a bribe, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of murders or blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, he shall dwell on high, his place of defense shall be the munitions of the rocks, bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. Who's that? The person who walks honestly and fairly and does not make profit, profit by fraud. That person will have water and bread and can be sure of it every day. Then 1 Thessalonians 4, in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm just trying to lay before you some biblical principles upon which you can operate if you are an employer in business for yourself. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and do your own business, and work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of what? Nothing. Work quietly with your own hands and deal with those that are without. Study to be quiet and, and do your own business, but walk honestly with them that are without. Who are those that are without, by the way? Them that are without. Who is he talking about? He's talking about non-Christians. You Christians walk in such a way that you're dealing honestly with those that are without, and through that you're going to even be a witness and testimony to them. All right? And then the bedrock of it all is found in Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke, chapter 6. 
And verse 31. Would you read that with me? And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. My, what a difference it would be in this world if everybody just operated by that one principle. Because you see, my money is a trust from God and it must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. If we want to prosper, God says, operate by my principles, my standards, and I'll make you to prosper. Lord willing, we're going to, just in a short time tonight, cover what the scriptures have to say about the employee. So if I got the employer a little bit this morning, I'll be ready to get you tonight. And I trust that uh, you'll ask the Lord to show you how he wants you to operate as an employee. He has biblical principles here, and with those biblical principles, he will show you how eventually he can prosper you. The part concerning the employee tonight in this series on 10 scriptural convictions that every family should know. My money is a trust from God and it must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. And the last part that we were covering here is it must be earned according to scriptural principles. This morning we talked about the employer, tonight the employee. There are some basic principles, scriptural principles, that we should know as Christians when it comes to wanting to be in a position where God can begin to prosper us as believers. And most people today are employees rather than employers. But God wants to bring them to the place eventually where they can be employers and be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, you know, and be in charge. The first one is the basic principle that happened with Adam and Eve after they were cast out, as they were being cast out of the garden in Genesis 3.19. Genesis 3.19. There is nothing wrong with the work ethic. God desires that men be willing to work. We were just talking about laziness here a few moments ago. And there is a philosophy today going around that we should all have a desire for ease, to take it easy, find the easiest job we can, get away with the least amount of work in a week as we possibly can and still get our paycheck. Look for two things, quitting time and payday. Now that's the philosophy that's going around. The other one is that when I was looking for a job when I found this one, so uh, it's just a means to an end for me. It's not an end in itself. And these are dangerous philosophies that have come about in our generation that need to be dealt with as believers. Genesis 3.19 says, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. You know, it would be a tragic day whenever the time came in my life or your life that we had so much that we didn't have to do anything and we had no initiative to go and do anything. I like what David said, Lord, don't give me so much money that I get proud, but don't get, make me so poor that I have to go out and steal either. And there was a, a good balance between the two of them. In Colossians, the third chapter... Colossians, the third chapter, it talks about our work and our attitude. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Here's talking about in verse 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. 
Now that what he's actually saying is don't just do things to please your boss because he might let you off easy. But do everything that you're doing as unto the Lord. Not trying to please the man, but to please the Lord so that he will be pleased with the work that you do with your hands. Wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, when you go in and say, Now, Lord, let me do this in such a way that it will bring honor and glory to you. My employer may faint when he sees me doing above and beyond the call of duty, but let me do it. And if anyone asks me a reason why I'm different, let me share and uplift the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatsoever you do, what does it say? Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Can you imagine how much differently everyone today would do their work if they thought at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, whatever quitting time was, that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come and inspect their work? Let's see what you did today. There wouldn't be skipped stitches. There wouldn't be uh, a multitude of sins hidden, you know, in our work. Someone said today that what we really need is to have everybody have to start putting their signature on their work again. If they'd have to do that, I wonder how much differently we'd do our work. You know, this has been one of the great problems in the United States of America today. We want more and more and more money as employees and produce less and less and less material. So now we're beginning to cry out poor workmanship, high cost, and wondering why they're they're selling all the Japanese cars and the German cars and the Swedish cars and all the rest of them and not American cars. Because both ends are trying to do the same thing. Corporations trying to take too much money and the workers trying to get too much money and that fight and struggle is there where the only thought they have many times is get there, get off work, get done, get my paycheck and get out of there. No allegiance, no commitment to the company. Proverbs the 10th chapter. Had a man go out this morning and says, boy, you really gave me a workout in the Bible this morning. I'm really tired from jumping back and forth into the different verses. Proverbs 10.4. Read it with me, will you? He that becometh poor, that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He becometh poor, that dealeth with a slack hand. Doesn't do the best. He just gets away with what he can possibly get away with. He said, you'll not come into success in the days ahead. You remember where Jesus said, why should I give you uh, uh, things of your own when you won't even take care of those of another? You won't even do with uh, the, the riches of others and try to build them up? Why should I give you riches of your own? And there's a principle involved there. When you are working for someone else, you should go beyond and try to do more than is required of you by your boss. Find out what needs to be done and make your boss successful. Bill Gothard emphasizes this over and over again in his seminar. In order to be a witness and testimony for Jesus Christ, go above and beyond what you have to do in order to make your boss successful. Now, I'll tell you one thing. You do that today in some unions and you'll get in trouble. I know people who have tried to do what they knew they could do in a day, which is in some cases one and a half to two times more than they were required to do by union standards. And the rest of the union workers would get very, very mad at them because they, they could accomplish more. Now, you see, again, I'm not against unions. I'm simply saying that both groups have gone too far. If you're saying, I want, for example, our automobile industry, some of them were making 22 and $23 an hour. 
Well, if they were worth it, they should get 22 to 23 dollars an hour. If they're producing that much and more, they should get 22 to 23 dollars an hour. But why should a company pay them 23 dollars an hour if they're producing four dollars an hour? Now, somewhere along the line, it just isn't going to pan out. They should do everything they possibly can to make their boss as successful as they possibly can. Look at Luke, the 17th chapter. Luke chapter 17. People like to get acclaim and like to get honor and like to be praised for their work. Jesus was very straightforward concerning this. Luke 17, verse 7. Read it with me. And we're going to read from 7 through 10. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come in from the field, Go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say to, unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. He's saying here that if you go to a job and you have a job and you're supposed to do just so much each day, if you just do that, don't expect someone to come around and praise you for it. Praise doesn't come until you go exceeding abundantly above and beyond and try to find better ways to do things, try to make that boss successful, and constantly hold a good witness and testimony before him because of your willingness to go beyond. He says, why should you be praised if you just do what the rest of them do? You should achieve, try to achieve at all times in your job for testimony's sake. Then I think there's something else we ought to mention here. When you're working somewhere, if the time ever comes that you need to compromise, that it's expected of you to compromise your moral standards, your moral convictions that we've been talking about here, that job should not be so important but what you would lay it down and walk away from it. But when you do it and you leave, there will be those back there that would have to say, that was a good worker. He did a good job. She did a good job. She went above and beyond the call of duty. I really missed that worker. Turn on over to Ecclesiastes 5.12. Ecclesiastes 5.12. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the next book over. Let me read that uh, Proverbs 10.40 out of the Living Bible. It says, Lazy men are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Okay, Ecclesiastes 5.12. I like this one. Read it with me now. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. So what does that mean? Have you ever noticed some people, when they start getting wealthy, they're always worried about somebody taking their wealth away from them? Always worrying about having to, uh, about being robbed? I've never seen a beggar yet that's uh, been sleeping in a hovel and had no money ever had to worry about getting robbed or kidnapped, did you? But the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. God said, if you want to get a good night's sleep, somebody, I'll never forget, years ago, someone talked to me about Ulcer Alley. You ever heard of Ulcer Alley? They say that's down off of the east coast of Miami, going with these, these rich men that go up and down in front of Miami out there in those great big yachts, 
uh, just putting pouring milk on their altar, wondering whether they're going to be able to keep all their wealth or not. And I thought, isn't that strange? To accumulate it all, and, and how much of it are they going to be able to hold on to anyway? Absolutely none of it. But he says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. I'll tell you, when I used to come home from a good hard day of physical work, no one had to rock me to sleep. <laughs> I knew that I'd been through it for that day. Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28. Read it with me. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. He said the work ethic is not just to keep you from stealing, but again, there is that which tries to hold on to stuff and tends to poverty, but there's that which is free and gives away, and it, it increases. He says the purpose of you to you're stop, you're, you're not stealing anymore and laboring is so that you can accumulate enough to begin to minister to others with their needs. All right? 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Got to keep moving here. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. We read this this morning for employers also. And that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Oh, I would that this could be... Uh, carved out in all the walls of the Congress and the Senate in Washington, D.C. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk, dis walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Paul says, I'm serious about this thing. Don't allow lazy people to continue to fellowship in your group. If they're lazy and refuse to work, Cut off your fellowship with them. Tell them, look, either you get a job and start supporting yourself or else. I've had people actually come to me and say, Brother Webb, we took this young man into our home and we put him in this bedroom over here and we've gone off to work every morning and he will sleep in until almost noon every morning, every day, get up and, and raid the icebox and then he'll go out. He says he's looking for jobs, but he'll come back and we find beer cans in the garbage and we find cigarette butts all over the house. And then he will stay up and watch television until 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. And then he'll, and we ask him if he's been out looking for jobs. Yes, but there's just no jobs available. So we, they said we, we have looked in, shown him in the newspaper. Here's one, here's one, here's one. And the next day he'd get up anywhere between noon and 1 o'clock again. And I said, well, how long has this been going on? They said, well, for almost six months now. I said, well, how much longer are you going to let it go on? They said, well, we don't know exactly what to do. So I showed them this, and they said, thank you. They went down, they said, we want you to know you've got two days left. If you don't find a job, out you go. I didn't hear what happened. I imagine that got him a little bit interested in doing something, don't you? Let me just read to you Proverbs 13, 4 from the Living Bible. Lazy people want much, 
but get little, while the diligent are prosperous. Well, turn that. Turn to Proverbs 13:4. We're almost through now. Proverbs 13:4. Because I want you to mark that one. It says, "The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat." The soul of the sluggish, sluggish desireth. Oh, one of these days I'm going to. One of these days I'm going to. Boy, one of these days I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You ever heard that? And hath nothing, but the diligent shall be made fat. And it's lazy people want much, but get little, while the diligent are prosperous. Then verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathers by labor shall increase. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathers by labor shall increase. Let me read that one to you out of the Living Bible. Wealth from gambling disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. One more verse in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, the 5th chapter, and the 8th verse. 1 Timothy 5, 8. Would you read it with me? But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Couldn't be much stronger, could it? God does not want lazy people. He wants people who are willing to be producers. Someone said maturity is when you produce more than you consume. Maturity is when you produce more than you consume. And you know that that's true in your home. When your children start getting a little bit older and they start maturing, they begin to have a desire to produce for themselves. And after a while, they have a little bit left room. They'll say, hey, Mom and Dad, let us take you out to dinner. And you say, hey, there's some maturity coming here. They're starting to get a little surplus, you know. And before long, they start thinking about getting things set up for their own homes in the future. Well, that's signs of maturity. And God says that we're to be mature spiritually and physically and mentally and be willing to be able and able to produce more than we consume so that we can have available that which would go to others. So we're talking about laziness, and we're talking about stinginess. And we're talking about being able to give, as the Lord asks us to do. Father, thank you for this truth, that our money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. I ask that you just cause us to understand these truths, to flow in these truths, and consequently to be blessed in a material way as well as spiritually. We just commit this hour to you and thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your provision. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us tonight. Again, I ask, Lord, that you will not allow any of us to go away without having these things dealt with in our life and to continue to be dealt with, for we'll be free of those things that are disconcerting to the Spirit of God, grieving the Spirit of God. Wash us and cleanse us and make us whiter white than the driven snow. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Number eight continues. My money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. Whenever you have a, a conviction that we're trying to establish within an individual's home, 
we've got to break it down completely so that you'll know exactly what we're talking about. And so we said first at the very beginning about the fact that we don't own ourselves and that we don't own our possessions and we don't own our talents. That was the first thing I wanted to get across to you. Second thing is that my money is a trust from God, and knowing that it all comes from Him, I must make that as a basic recognition. My money, my talents, everything that I have comes directly from Him. Then I said that it must be earned according to scriptural principles. And last week we talked about some general scriptural principles, and then talking about how we earn money, and then I talked about the employer, how he earns his money, and he had to be careful, and then the employee, how he earned his money and must be careful. The third point is that my money is a trust from God and must be managed according to scriptural principles. First of all, it must be earned according to scriptural principles, and then once we have it, it must be managed according to scriptural principles. And again, let me say that I have been using basically the ten basic convictions and some of the teachings from from Bill Gothard's seminar because, again, it is a seminar that, that basically establishes biblical, scriptural, biblical principles. Scriptural principles. If you and I can operate on scriptural principles, we'll never have to worry about getting off on the wrong course. Because his word is what? Settled forever in the heaven. His word is settled for heaven. And that's, you know, forever. That's much better than taking the last book. The, most, the latest books that have been printed and new philosophies and new ideas. I have lived long enough to see all these new ideas come and go and come and go and come and go and never last, but the Word of God changes not. And I've had people say to me in my years of ministry, Oh, Brother Webb, you're not up to date. I say, Praise God, I'm ahead of date. Stick around long enough and you'll find out in the end I'm right because I am trying to teach what the Word of God says and I don't care what other men say. You wait till it's all said and done and all the information's in. The Word of God is absolutely right. I just cannot help but see the advantage that Bill Gothard has in using this type of teaching method with the overhead projector, so I'm going to follow. First thing I want to talk to you about in managing our money according to scriptural principles are the three basic factors determining financial freedom. There are very few people in the world who come to a position of financial freedom. But there are some basic principles in the Scripture that tells us how we can come to financial freedom. And the first one, of course, is giving. You say, well, Brother Webb, why don't you talk about receiving first instead of giving? Because that isn't the way God's economy flows. It isn't the way anything else flows. The, the ground says, give me a seed, and I'll give you fruit. The stove says, give me wood, and I'll give you heat. You see, everything you have to give first before you get. And that's one of the first things. First of all, of course, I'm going to just fly over as fast as I can. We are to not give, but return the tithe. The tithe, and, and a lot of people say, Brother Webb, you're, you're getting us under the law. And we'll talk more about that later. The tithe was before the law, during the law, and it has continued through grace. It's a declaration of God's ownership in your life and obedience to his word. That is just declaring that everything you have is his, and that is what he has commanded you to return to him in Malachi 3.10. Second, giving to the poor, to their necessities, not to their needs. But the second aspect of giving is to give to the poor. I want you to look at Proverbs, the 19th chapter and the 7th verse, in case you think you can't afford to give to the poor. 
Proverbs 19:17. We tried this verse out several years ago one time, and, and later on had some come back to me and said it worked for them. Proverbs 19:17. He that hath pity upon the poor, what? What? Lendeth to whom? When you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and you might as well forget that. It's gone forever. And that which he hath given, will he what? Did I say that? Who said that? Hello, where's the rest of you? Who said that? What did he say if you lend to the poor, he'll do? You think God's going to be chintzy? You know something, I really believe that's one of the reasons God has blessed the United States as a nation, because we've been a given na giving nation. We've given to other nations all over the face of the earth, and I believe that's one of the reasons the blessings of God has been on this nation. But what is true, now let me say something here. I don't care who it is, a saint or a sinner, if you begin to operate in God's principles, in spiritual laws, they will take effect no matter what. I have known of non-Christian people who were very giving, giving, giving all the time, and you saw things coming back to them all the time. Always a flow coming back to them. And they, they didn't understand what they were doing, but they had gotten into a divine law of God's economy, of flowing. Give, and it shall be given unto you. And when you give to the needs of the poor around you. Now, by the way, let me tell you, I'm not talking about indiscriminate just flowing. But I'm talking about walking in the Spirit and listening to the Spirit of God. And when God brings you into contact with someone and you sense that there's a need there and you say, Lord, what would you have me to do? If he says nothing, do nothing. But if you know that they have a need and that you have the wherewithal to meet that need, then God says you better be sure that I said nothing if you walk away from them and just say the Lord bless you and be warned. But he says you're to give to the necessities of the, those of the poor around you as much as possible. You know what's happened today, don't you? We have, through our socialistic type of government that has been becoming more uh, established every year, we've allowed the government to almost take over the position of, and the work of the church within a society. The church starts it up, and there's many groups today in the United States that will start up a benevolent thing, they'll go around and raise a little money, get it going, and financially it doesn't make it, almost collapses, and they come to the government and says, it is required of you to keep this going. You must sustain this. You must not let this go down. And they get a lot of publicity going, and the government officials all of a sudden feel pressure, and they say, well, we better pick it up and carry it. But God wants us as Christians to give to the poor. The third is giving, distributing to the necessity of the saints. That's what Romans 12, 13 talks about. The very verse that says, where it's talking about different gifts, ministry gifts, motivational gifts, it talks about distributing to the necessity of the saints. You know, I, it's beautiful as I operate as a pastor with a flock and, and see the different ones that God gives different gifts to. There's some in this body that some of you know nothing about what they do. They'll slip around here and slip around there and they'll give here and give there and meet this need and quietly take care of this situation. God's just given them a gift of distributing to the necessity of the saints. They don't get up in the front here like uh, we saw a film the other night at... Uh, at the Jesus 81 of the super Christian, this boy that uh, all week he was just the typical guy doing all the carnal things and hot tempered and everything, and on Sunday he put on this big white suit with a coat with the coat tails on him, the the tails on it, 
and he had a ruffled front on it, and he pulled it open. There was a, a red S on his yellow undershirt, T-shirt. Super Christian, and he went to church, and he would sing so loud the others around him would go like this. And then when the offering came, he would have the person next to him hold the plate, and he would go, drop one, drop two, drop three. Everybody was looking at him when he, super Christian. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where God just ministers your spirit to me and you've made for me more than enough so that I can distribute to the necessities of the saints around me. I can meet the needs of those around about me here in the body. And when you do that, God honors you. That's one of the first aspects of succeeding according to scriptural principles and determining financial freedom. Let me say it again. It is impossible. It is impossible to outgive God. It is impossible to outgive God if you will give in obedience to Him. Now, again, I'm saying I'm not talking about a guy going down the street throwing dollar bills in the, in the, up in the air, but someone who has a sincere, earnest desire to be used of God to meet and minister to the needs of other saints around them. If you'll do that, God will direct you. God will instruct you. He'll show you when and where to give. You don't always want to give. I've said it before. If God has fixed a fix to fix someone with, don't you fix that fix he fixed to fix them with, or he'll have to fix another fix to fix the fix that you fixed that he was going to fix them with. Don't ever do that. But know what the Spirit of God is trying to show you when it comes to giving to the necessity of the saints. And the results are that if you are consistent and faithful and steadfast in that, the second basic factor determining financial freedom will, will automatically happen, and that is receiving. Receiving. Now, there are several ways in which you can receive. Remember I told you when I was in Bible school, it was as though God had a unique program going for me. Other students would get on their knees and say, Lord, I have this financial need, and money would come in. People just bring money to them all, all the time. And I'd get down and say, Lord, I have a financial need. And he'd get me another job. That's not so bad either. At least my needs were met. And that's one of the first things that we need to realize as a Christian. God's word requires that we be not lazy, but that we find some type of work to do. Romans 12, 11 says, not slothful in business. God wants you to be active. You ever seen a sloth? You ever seen a sloth in a tree? I, I, they, they showed pictures of it one time with the Moody Bible Institute science film. That thing, when it goes up a tree, you almost have to drive a stake next to it to make sure it's moving. And when one fellow saw that Moody film one time, he said, My son! My son! There he is! Who took that picture of my son? God says there are to be no Christians like that. God doesn't want lazy Christians. He will provide for you if you're willing to work. In fact, he says if somebody won't work, don't let them eat. And he says it's an amazing thing. If you get them hungry enough, they'll work. I used to always say that about our pets. I've had people say from time to time, my dog or my cat just won't eat that. I said, sure they will. They said, no, they won't. I said, sure they will. Leave it out for a couple of days. They'll eat it. Sooner or later, they get hungry. Now, if you say, that's cruel. No. Sometimes you've got to let them realize that it's tough for everyone. And there's some people, if you don't, if you just keep supporting and supporting and supporting, I said this, talked about this last week, they'll do nothing. And it comes a time when you have to say, that's it. The roll is all over now. The doling out's all over with. Get out and get a job. Job. 
you know, J-O-B. Try it. If you'll teach them when they're young how to work for a living, when they get old, they'll come back to call you blessed. Second, through resourcefulness. All work does not have to be necessarily physical, hard physical work. Uh, we can be very, very resourceful. When, when Solomon was talking about the Christian woman in Proverbs 31, it's interesting how he describes she started making money. He said in uh, Proverbs 31:13, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She said, well, I'm not going out on the job market right now, but I can work at home and make some money. She was resourceful. And there are many, many times, uh, just recently the other day, we were watching a uh, uh, PM program, I think it was, uh, PM Magazine, and there were a couple of ladies whose husbands uh, worked somewhere else, and these two or three ladies had a lot of time when they got their housework done, they sat around and said, you know, we ought to, I forget what the exact program was, but it's some unique thing that they wrote up for people and made up for them. And they said, well, let's just call around and see if we can't do this service for different companies recipes on a computer. That was it. They said, we can make these things up and people can punch into the computer and out will come these, these uh, gourmet recipes. Now, you know that took a lot of thinking, didn't it? And they sat down and they had watched their husband's program and asked their husbands how to program and the, the husband showed them how to program a computer program. And so at home, they started making up a gourmet recipe program. I think the last thing we had heard, they had made something like two hundred and some thousand dollars a year at it resourcefulness. Ecclesiastes 9.10. If you haven't marked it, mark it in your Bible. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Will you read it with me? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Now, you know we have people in this church right now who are very resourceful. They found different ways to make money. Some of them do not work for anyone. They work for themselves. They have found out that they can start with a little bit and build it up and continue to build it and, and, and get into their own business. I remember when my son Jeff wanted to uh, go to Seminole Community College. Uh, we didn't know whether he should go out and go to uh, McDonald's and get a job or Burger King and get a job for $3 and a quarter an hour. But uh, another friend of mine and I were talking, and this friend said, Look, why don't we let Jeff establish his own business at home in detailing automobiles and motorhomes and vans and, and trailers? I'll bring him into him. I'll supply him to him if he'll just get his own business going. And the first reaction was, Yeah, but Dad, that's going to take money to get equipment. That's going to take money for this. I said, It'll start. Just do it for a couple of them and then take the money from them and get some more, and it'll, it'll work out. And so Jeff is in his own business now. And he goes to college, sets his own hours, basically. Sometimes he feels like he's got too much to get done in one week sometimes, but still, he has found out he doesn't have to go to a job. The job comes to him, and so he's got to work right there at home, resourcefulness. And I think a lot of times, and I've said this before, I believe that this is one of the weaknesses of our university and college systems today. The basic university and college programs today simply teach you how to work for someone else. Very little in the area of teaching you to be resourceful and to go out and try it on your own. Do your own thing. Take a chance. Step out there. Take a chance to make a law. But I believe that if you'll do it and do it as in a, in a Christian way, God will honor you and bless you for it. We'll talk more about that a little later on. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. So if 
if you will begin to ask God for resourcefulness and be diligent at it, I believe that you will receive. The first one through labor, the second one through resourcefulness, and the third one, a way of receiving is through prayer. Through prayer. Hebrews 11.6 says, He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Philippians tells us, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I believe that there come times when we can't make it that we can get on our knees before God and say, God, I need your help. I am asking you to meet this need. And if we are faithful in the other... Now, let me tell you again. Don't try to get the cart before the horse. If you're not faithful in your stewardship of your tithes and offerings, you're in deep trouble if you come to God and ask him for more help. He said if you don't bring in your tithes and return your tithes, you're cursed with a curse. And the devourer is going to start eating up everything you've got. I could give you verse after verse where he says... Now, up till this time, you did not tithe, and you did not put my work first, and therefore, you're going to come, you're going to plant your seed, and nothing's going to come up, and you're going to plant your vineyard, and you're going to, where you thought you were going to get 40, you're only going to get five, and then he turns around, and he says, now you've obeyed, and from this day, blank, blank date, on, I'm going to bless you, whereas you thought you were going to get 40, now you're going to get more, and where you are, and he goes, he says, just turned around, reversed. You've been faithful in giving, now I'm going to give back to you. But if you're faithful, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I can do much more with nine-tenths of what God gives me and his blessing than ten-tenths and his curse. I cannot afford not to tithe. Okay? Now, when I do, then I can go to my prayer closet, I can get on my face and tell God what my needs are. And through prayer... I can tell you of time and time and time again when God has faithfully answered our prayer. He is our source. Our job, your job must not be your source. Your talents must not be your source. God must be your source. And then thank him for those talents. Use them to glorify him and it will come back to you. The third aspect of basic factors determining financial freedom is spending. Spending, managing your money. Remember what I told you some time ago concerning the economists that tried to speak to a black congregation and use these great big words, and they sat there blinking their eyes, couldn't understand him, and so pastor finally got up when he was all through and said, now, brothers and sisters, you didn't get all that he said. He simply said, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep's your downfall. And so you have to learn how to spend. You didn't get that, huh? If your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. In other words, you run out of money before you run out of wheat. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that happen? Okay. Spending, just receiving is not the answer. How you, you manage that which comes in is very, very important in God's economy for you to be prosperous and have financial freedom. Point one. Again, I said in, in the area of spending... Transfer all that ownership as an act of your will, of all your talents, time, money, possessions, earning power. Give it to God. Say, God, you have the final word in all these things in my life. I don't know how you want me to spend it, but I'm going to ask you to direct me and guide me and give me wisdom, give me understanding. 
so that I'll spend it in a way that'll bring honor and glory to you. You say, well, it won't work, Brother Webb. Either you're wrong or God's Word's wrong. Anybody want to vote and see who's wrong? You see, it will work. The trouble is, many times we have not put step one and step two in proper order. But if we will do what I'm saying, God will honor us by if we'll transfer all of the last word on this to him. I know of a, a man right here in Orlando that Beverly and I traveled with years ago. When we first traveled with him, he had a small print shop down in Orlando. He gave it all to the Lord, even put it into a life trust and said, all I need is a salary. He and his wife were faithful and functioning in that business while he was out in evangelism continuously. He'd come home and storm through the plant, and when he left, his wife would settle everything down again, and he would keep on flowing, and he kept giving more and more time to the Lord and traveling all over the world, preaching, winning souls to Jesus Christ. And he said, Lord, the business is yours. I just want it there so I can continue to have the finances to do your work. And he wouldn't even take an offering for himself. He'd finish a big citywide, countywide crusade. He'd say, if you want to take an offering, we'll send it to missions. Don't give me anything. God's taking care of my needs. I heard his testimony just several years ago now down at the Loma Baptist Church. He said, I don't say this to brag because God gets all the glory for it. We gave everything to him years ago and said, Lord, if we can manage it as your stewards, just show us what to do. He says, today God has caused that life trust to be a multi-million dollar establishment. He has printing factories all over the southeastern part of the United States. And God has raised up godly men who would stand there and take care and oversee those businesses and make them go because they knew he was committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was first in his life. I know a man by the name of R.G. Letourneau who has gone to be with the Lord. But R.G. Letourneau was a godly man. Beverly and I had the privilege of being in their home several years ago when we were traveling in concert and preaching to her. And R.G. Letourneau was a man who was very talented. He, he could, God would show him things that no other engineer would even think of. He built these huge earth-moving machines, and I told you some years ago about how he built a machine that would go right through the jungle, eat up the jungle as it was going through, spit it out behind, build a roadbed, and, and blacktop it as, it as it passed over. It could go up 45-degree inclines, up and down, and go, go something like 60 miles an hour down a highway if it had to. Incredible. Couldn't be done. When he first started, he turned the whole thing over to God and said, God, it's your business. I'm just going to work on a salary. Whatever you want to do with it, you give me wisdom, give me direction. And when a problem would come in, he'd go to bed that night and say, Now, Lord, tonight I really need wisdom from you. I need insight, so I'm going to put my pencil and pad here. And when you get ready to talk to me how I'm supposed to do this, you tell me. And he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd turn on his little light. He wouldn't, he'd have a little tiny light so he wouldn't bother his wife. And he'd write out some plans and so forth. Hmm. He'd lay down again. The Lord told him something. He'd be back up at it again. The next morning, he'd go in the engineering department and say, do this. They said, can't. He said, don't tell me you can't. God told me we could. Just do it. They'd come out and they said, it worked. It worked. But he had everything else in order. R.G. Letourneau used to go around and say, I'll challenge any man, Christian or non-Christian. You begin tomorrow tithing on every cent you have that you bring in through your business. Don't tell me you don't know what it is. He said, if the IRS had told you they'd give you a 10% discount, if you kept track of it all, you'd know it to the penny. He said, you'd know just exactly tithe on that. He said, and I'll tell you what, at the end of the year, you have a CPA audit your books, and if you have not made it more money than you did before you start tithing, you send me that audited statement, and I'll send you a check for the balance. 
I met him when he had been preaching that for over 30 years. He said, never today have I ever yet had one man write to me with an audited statement saying he lost money because he was faithful to tithe to God. But he said, I've had thousands of letters, men who didn't even profess to be Christians who were amazed and said, it worked. And through that, God began to speak to their heart and make them realize the reality of the truth of the Word of God. Stanley Tam, a man who went into a business, bought it out when it was bankrupt, reclaiming silver off of old films. Stanley Tam was going bankrupt also. He put all of his money into it, and he's just going right down the tubes. And he pulled off the road one day and said, God, what is going on here? What are you trying to show me? I thought this is what you wanted me to do. And God says, well, you said it was your business, so run it. He says, what do you want me to do, Lord? He says, well, I thought we were going to go in business together. He said, Lord, he says, we are in business together. We're partners right now. He turned around, went into town, sought out, had to go to three attorneys. The other two kicked him out. Thought he was crazy. He wanted to draw up a business agreement that God owned 50% of his business. He said the next week it turned around. But he had to be absolutely meticulous in his business dealings. There was a time when he overcharged something like five cents to his customers. And God says, send them all a check for five cents. He said, God, it's going to cost me a you know, thousands of dollars to do that. He says, do it. Send them a letter of explanation. He sent them a letter of explanation that says, because I have committed this business to Jesus Christ, that he's my Lord and Master, I want you to know that I will never knowingly, willfully, cheat you out of any money. And therefore, I'm sending this back to you to let you know that I made the mistake and ask you if you'll please forgive me. We'll try to be more careful in the future. Do you know through that one letter that went out, God just made his business boom? Stanley Tam has a book out today, and if you read it, his business is a multi-million dollar business. But you know what happened? It got too big for him. So he turned it all over to the Lord and went on salary. It works. Not just in finances. Bud Robinson, the old Nazarene preacher, lisped. He could hardly talk straight at all. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. And God saved him. How God saved him? He got under conviction, ran out of the tent, and jumped up and hung down over an old gate in the corral. Feet over one end and his face over the other, his hands hanging down, just crying out to God and asking God to save him. And God saved him there. I mean, he was so simple that for the next 90 days when he went around, he couldn't, he didn't know anything about the scriptures, but he just praised God and blessed God and hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord. And people around him got under conviction and said, what can I do, bud? How can I get saved? He says, go over and hang over that gate over there and tell God you're sorry. If I remember right, I think Bud Robinson in his lifetime won some hundred and some thousand people to Jesus Christ. And God taught him how to read the Bible. But you see, he gave that which was his all to the Lord. said, Lord, I give it to you now. You do whatever you want to with it. It does work. We're talking about conviction. Spending it. How? Transfer the ownership of it all to God. Second, when I talk about tithing, I'm talking about establish it. Settle it once for all. It's an amazing thing in the years that I've been in the ministry, in every church I've ever preached in, even in revival meetings, when I'd speak on tithing, the preachers say the offering to zoom up and then slowly come down. Sometimes in two months, sometimes in four months, sometimes in six months. You know why? I never tell people to try the tithe. I say you establish the tithe. You don't try the tithe. I don't even like to hear people say, I'm going to try Jesus. Don't you try Jesus. Nobody tries Jesus. You either commit yourself to him or you're nothing. 
in his sight. He doesn't know you. God's word says, if you're going to be obedient to me and you don't want the curse of God on your life, you establish this as a conviction in your life. All of it's God's, and 10% of it, I'm to return to him to declare his ownership in my life. Now, anytime you don't do that, mark it down, you're in disobedience to God. Amen. Amen. Anytime you disobey it, any Sunday you disobey it, you're in sin. I didn't say it. God's Word said You might as well establish it, or you might as well mark it down. You're in, going to be in turmoil forever. Always in turmoil. Brother Webb kept, don't tell me you can't afford it. You can't afford not to. Well, I, I'm afraid I won't be able to pay my bills. Are you more afraid of that company than you are God? Return the tithe and get down and say, God, I'm concerned about my testimony and my witness for you. If there's another job, something else I can do, show me. I want to pay my bills, Lord. I want to be honor, honorable before men. But don't rob God to pay another bill. Pay and return your tithe and then ask God to help you pay that bill. Establish that once and forever. It's all his anyway. I'll tell you one thing. If you don't return it, you're not going to get any enjoyment out of it. Because Satan will come in and spoil it every time. I guess I've used this illustration so many times with you, but it's just impressed it upon me. One week, my car, my old car as a new Christian, was broken, was having trouble. I had trouble with the tires and so forth, and I thought, boy, I better keep my tithe this week just in case, and I'll pay it next week. If I can make it through this week, it'll be all right. And I held my tithe back. Do you know that week I had four spare tires in my trunk from another car that I jumped? you know that week I had five blowouts? Five blowouts. All the tithe that I didn't pay, I paid out anyway, that I said I couldn't afford to give to God, I paid it out anyway. Like the black preacher says, half my people return their tithe and God beats it out of the rest of them. They all pay it. So mark it down. If you're a saint, you won't get any enjoyment or any pleasure or any benefit out of it if you don't return it to God. Because he said the devourer is going to come and devour it. So establish that once and for all. Oh, praise God. Third, come to Sunday school and find out how to witness. Daily, seek ways to witness for Christ. Now you say, why? How, do, how does this get involved in my spending? Well, it gets involved this way. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I've heard many say, well, boy, if I just had the time, I'm just trying to make a living. If I had the time, I'd sure love to go out and witness to the Lord. I'd sure like to have time to talk to others about Jesus Christ. See, you got your priorities out of, out of focus. Make your priority to have opportunities to share Jesus Christ as a natural part of your daily living. And in doing so, say, now, Lord, I really want to be a witness to these people. I want to be able to let them see Christ in me through obedience. Lord, help me with my needs. I'm trying to be obedient to you. Now you do, as you said, if I give, you're going to give back to me. I'm giving of my time. I'm giving of the things that you've given to me. I'm, I'm just giving. Now, Lord, you said if I put you first and your kingdom first and your righteousness first, all these things will be added unto me. You see, it fits right in. It fits in perfectly if we'll just do it. Look at Mark 10, verses 29 and 30 for those who think they can't afford it. Mark 10, 29 and 30. We can actually read verse 28 also. Mark 10, 28. Read it with me. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Isn't that a pitiful confession? 
Well, we just left everything to follow thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's, but he shall receive an hundredfold in eternity. No. What? Oh, he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Does that mean in this life? Yes. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. He didn't say wives, by the way. You notice that, don't you? Lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus said, don't talk to me about what you're giving up. No man's going to give up anything in this life, but what I'm going to return it to him a hundredfold if he is faithful. Lord willing, next thing is going, we're going to be talking about, the next aspect of spending is going to be very, very important. Get out of debt, how? God wants his people out of debt. I believe that. And I'll be sharing with you some of the things that God's been doing in our lives, and we're believing God's going to get us totally out of debt. He's done a tremendous amount already for us, and we thank the Lord for it. But these, I'm talking about biblical principles now, scriptural principles that will allow us basic financial freedom. And uh, I hope that if you're having financial difficulties and troubles right now in your home, that you will be sure that you and your husband and you and your wife and you and your children are here to get this teaching on financial freedom, how to have financial freedom. Father, there are just so many things we want to share, so many truths that we need to know to establish our homes with deep biblical, scriptural conviction, Father. And that's what we want to see in our homes so that our church can be everything you want it to be. I know that in the prophecy over this church, you said that these, the families in this church are going to come into financial prosperity. Lord, I want us to do it, and I know the only way we can do it is by all of us to begin to operate and flow according to God's divine financial principle standard. Lord, just encourage our hearts to know that your thoughts toward us are continually good, that you want us to be winners. We are winners, but Lord, help us act like it and, and look like it. In Jesus' name, minister these truths to our hearts and don't let us get discouraged, but realize if God be for us, who can be against us? This is the promise of your word. But Lord, you said that obedience is better than sacrifice and to obey is in the fat of ram. And so many times we're willing to sacrifice, but we're not willing to obey. And I'm, I'm just asking you, Lord, to forgive us for those areas where we've not obeyed. And Lord, teach us to obey at any cost, whatever it takes, Lord. If it takes a, a, a rod to our back, whatever it takes, you teach us to be totally obedient to you in every area so that the end result will be joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name we do ask these things for his sake. Amen.